Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will continue with his message entitled, Dare to Ask. This is part two, and we're still in the book of Ephesians chapter three. Now, here's Pastor Ralph. As we go on, this scripture says, glory be to God, and it gives the reason, and it says, by his mighty power within us, he's able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul in the first chapter says, I pray that you'll understand this mighty power that's within you. In the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is a prophet who God has called to speak some pretty harsh words to his people because they're getting way out of line. And Jeremiah's done what he's told, and now he's not really seeing the results that he expected, and he's in despair, and he's mad at God, and he's complaining. And I'm going to quote it from the King James because that's how I memorized it. The Lord says to him, Hey, Jerry, call on me. And I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. Now, here's the problem that you and I both have. And that is that we think we know everything. Now, we don't think we know everything there is to know. But we think we know every category of knowledge that exists. In other words... I know this well. I know this other stuff exists, but I don't understand it. Are you with me? See, I I like to study science because it fits so well with creation in the scripture. And I can get into cosmology, the study of the universe. I can get into astrophysics. I can get into to the study of the atom. I can understand it. I get into biology and I start looking at the structure of little one-celled microbes and, and how they, and I just get lost. So I know what I can understand. I know what I can't understand. And so I have a sense of, I know what I don't know. But the Lord says, call on me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. In other words, you don't even know that they exist. We did an exercise with our staff. There's some people in our church that that consult with businesses and they they do some testing and they teach you how to to appreciate each other's strengths and how to work together better as a team. And one of the things that they were talking about is, is the way that we learn. And they said there's four stages. It starts out with that you don't know what you don't know. You know, we have a problem with this. I don't know what I don't know. There's a lot about God that you probably don't know what you don't know. And if you dig a little deeper, you'll come to find it out. But, but you don't know what you don't know. And then you go from knowing what you don't know to beginning to learn what you don't know to mastering what you used to not know. This scripture, Jeremiah Where he says, great and mighty things that you know not. I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. See, I thought I was going down this path, 
But God had this path for me, and I didn't even know it existed. Great and mighty things that you know not, God wants to do, and, and God wants to bless you, and he wants to strengthen you, and, and, and so it's his mighty power at work in us. What do you need from God? What do you need? Because God's got the power to get the thing done. And, and, and he goes so far as to say that he can do infinitely more than we would ever dare ask or hope. And the words that are there in the, in the Greek language that say dare, ask, or hope, or, or the, the King James Version says ask or think, it really, the, the Greek's more succinct than that. It's really a, a term that basically would say he's able to do more than you could ever crave. What do you need from God? Because he's able to do it. What would it take to change your neighborhood in the way it needs to be changed? Or, or your, your workplace in a way that it needs to be changed? What would it take to, to bring your family up to speed? God is able. And, and see, I think we don't get it. I think we think of prayer as, as, a, as a job we've got to do. It's our religious duty. No, no, it's, it's, it's the ability to go and, and access heaven and download what you need. You know, I am thrilled with the internet. And so I spent last night, late at night, on the internet downloading information. And I can get so much from there. And, and, and I used to wonder when I was a kid, how can God hear everybody's prayers at once? I read a statistic this week. Google has now got 1.3 billion uh, websites registered with their search engine. 1.3 billion. And they can access it all at once. Well, if, if humans can build a machine to do that, what can God do? And, I, and, and when, I, when I begin to, 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 to interact with, it, with the Internet, I begin to think of God differently. I begin to realize I'm, I'm just accessing heaven's resources here. And I'm downloading the things that I need. And God is able to do beyond all I could ask or think. Is this good? Well, you got time for a little more? Okay. I want you to go in the Old Testament to Numbers. Um, you're going to probably, most of you have a hard time finding Numbers. And you just go to the beginning of the Bible. And it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. And I would suggest you read the, the first six books of the Old Testament. But read them this way. Genesis, you read the story, but when you come to the, to the business about this person's the father of this person's the father of this person, skip them. When you get to Exodus, read the whole thing. When you get to Leviticus, skip all of it. Because Leviticus is the law. It's just, it, it tells all this stuff. You know, my donkey gored your, or my ox gored your donkey. Here's how much I owe you. You don't really need that. I read that stuff. You leave that alone. You'll get the most important part of the law. The Ten Commandments shows up in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Catch it in Exodus, you're covered. When you go to Numbers, there's a lot of story in Numbers, but it's a census. That's why it's called Numbers. When you get to the census part, Skip it. Go to Deuteronomy. The first part of Deuteronomy is God doing business with humanity. Read it. But the Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means the second statement of the law, 
when you get to the law part, skip over it and jump into Joshua. And, and, and you will have, in, in a very brief time, gained a huge amount of the history of the Old Testament. And you'll make my job easier for me. And you're going to think you're reading a novel if you read it that way. It's, it's filled with, with life. It's filled with love. It's filled with hate. It's filled with violence. It's filled with kindness. It's filled with the miracles of God. It's filled with war. But as you read it, you're going to come to understand God and his nature. And you're going to find out that you don't say things like, oh, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. No, he's a God of love. And you'll discover that. And you'll discover his kindness. But as we break into the story here, this is the place where the people of Israel have been living as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God has set them free in a miraculous and violent way. And they're on their way to the land that God promised to give them. And we, we understand they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And we also know that from Cairo to Jerusalem, it's about an 11-day walk. And that's not pushing yourself real hard. So they could have got there in a hurry. They never got there for 40 years. And we read about the reason for it here as, as we realize that there are people who are afraid to dare to ask God or afraid to dare to trust God. And they outnumber those who are willing to trust him in this situation. It starts out Moses giving instruction to 12 people. It names them in the verses before we're going to read here. And he tells them to go and spy out the land. Verse 17, Moses gave these men these instructions as he sent them to explore the land. Go northward through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Enter the land boldly and bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab near Labo Hamath. Going northward, they passed through a whole bunch of other places. And they met a bunch of people, including the descendants of Anak, uh, who were reported to be big people. Goliath was one of them. And the nearest we can calculate, he probably was about six foot eight. It goes on and it says in verse 23, when they came to what is now known as the Valley of Eshkol, they cut down a cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. And by the way, when I was a kid in children's church, I saw a little cartoon deal and it showed two guys with a pole and they had a cluster of grapes, had about nine grapes the size of basketballs. And that's not what it says here. They caught a, a huge cluster of normal grapes. And it was so big, it took two men to carry the thing. Verse 25, after scouting the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the people of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land you sent us to see, and it is indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is some of the, the fruit as proof. But the people living there are powerful, and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. And we also saw the descendants of Anak who were living there, the big guys. The Amalekites live there, and it names all these people who live 
on these different places. Verse 30, and these people are discouraging everybody. And it says, that, but Caleb, one of the 12, tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. And he goes, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him answered, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. It says, the land we explored will swallow up any who go to live there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them, and that's what we looked like to them. Now, do you believe for a minute that these people were so big that, that in, in honest comparison, that the, the Israelis look like grasshoppers? It's like we're two inches tall compared to their, you know, 100 feet tall or whatever. Have you ever heard the word hyperbole? It describes a figure of speech in which you exaggerate on purpose to make a point. Have you ever said to somebody, that guy's a mountain of a man? Or have you ever spoke to somebody about a, a woman who's just real stable and said, she's just a, she's a brick. She's solid as a rock. What are you doing? You're, 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 you're using descriptives to make a point and, and the accuracy isn't in t taking the words literally. The accuracy is in understanding the thought behind them. What they're saying is these are big people and we're scared of them. It said earlier, it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you think that the rivers were flowing with milk and there was honey dripping off the trees? No way. What are they saying? It's, 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 a, it's a prosperous place. It, it grows stuff. It's a healthy place. We'd like to be there, but we can't be there because these people are bigger than us. Their towns are well fortified and we're not going. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 14, all the people began weeping aloud and they cried all night and their voices rose in a great chorus of complaint against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they wailed. Why is the Lord taking us up to this country only to have us die in battle? How many of you have thought that? Why did the Lord bring me into this position only to defeat me here? And we don't understand spiritual warfare. We don't understand who our enemy is. And we often put on the Lord the things that Satan is doing to try to destroy us. And, and so they go on and, and it says, um, Why is the Lord taking us to die in battle? Our wives and little one will be carried off as slaves. Let's get out of here and return to Egypt. If they go back to Egypt, they're going to die for sure. They left Egypt in chaos. And for sure their children are going to be slaves. And so... They decide to plot and choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. These are very expressive people. They fell face down on the ground before the people of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, the only two who had faith of the 12 spies, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. Again, very expressive. They said to the community of Israel, the land we explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and he'll give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Verse 9, underline this. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid. 
He goes on to say, don't be afraid of the people of the land. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid. They equate fear to rebellion against God. Now, what's that all about? I mean, fear is like some poor, helpless person, and you're up here calling it sin. Basically, when we come to a problem, we have a choice. And the choice is to trust God or to trust that Satan is bigger than God and he's going to defeat us. And I want you to stop and think about it. What do you got to lose? I mean, if you've got a problem you can solve, you're going to solve it and not pray anyway. Is that right? Huh? Aren't you? We all do. But if I have a problem that is absolutely beyond me and I can't solve it at all. And so I go to prayer and I go, I am going to believe God. I am going to to put my stake here. See, I think one of the problems that I have with prayer is I don't want to be uncool. And I'm afraid, what if I pray and nothing happens? I'll look weird. And it even affects me when I'm praying alone all by myself. Which is really stupid. You know, I'm afraid that, you know, what if, what if nothing happened? I'll, you know. And, 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 and so we get, we get this embarrassment thing, this weirdness. But what, what would happen if, if you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you found out God was a loser? I'll tell you what would happen is you wouldn't have to waste your time on Sunday morning coming to church anymore. Give up on it. I mean, if, if, I, if I've exhausted all my resources and all I have left is prayer, why not give it a shot? Because if I don't pray and I go down, or I do pray and I go down, that's the worst thing that can happen to me. Either way, I go down. But if I pray and I actually invest faith, and you know what I'm talking about, there's that step where you say, okay, I believe. And I invest that in the Lord. And I say, okay, I'm not going to rebel against God by unbelief. I'm going to choose to surrender to God by saying, I'm going here. I'm putting the whole basket in your hands. Now I'm acting in faith. Unbelief is faith in Satan. Belief is faith in the Lord. And so they say, don't rebel against the Lord in unbelief. And the the people now begin to think about stoning not only Moses and Aaron, they want to kill Joshua and Caleb. And and God gets mad. And God and Moses have a little talk. We're not going to go into it by reading it. But God says to Moses, I'm done with these people. It's, It's over, through, over with. I'm not letting any of them go into the land I promised them. I'm going to let them all die of old age. And then I'll take their children into the land that I promised. Except Joshua and Caleb who believed me. Those guys are going to get to see the victory that they're holding out for. Now I want us to fast forward and we're going to look at Caleb's life at the point that he and Joshua are doing business now and they've gone into the land. So when we move from where we're at in Numbers to where we're going to go in Joshua, Joshua chapter 14, 45 years have gone by. And it goes Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So go right to Joshua chapter 14. I want you to think about something. You know, when we came to this 
piece of property. In a sense, you could say it was the promised land for our church. We, we moved to Oahu, uh, my friend Aaron Suzuki and I and, and our families and a bunch of other people. There are actually 30 of us that moved here from Southern California because we believe God called us to Kaneohe to start this church. I had a vision. A really weird thing happened. Uh, not the kind of thing you want to have happen every other day either. And uh, I, I moved here on the strength of that vision. In that vision, I saw us in this exact location. Now, when we got the land, I wouldn't even tell people that. It was too embarrassing. But I saw us in this location five years before we moved. When we came, uh, we thought we had rented a whole floor of the Poly Palms Plaza to start church. We had money. And just as we were moving, everything was on the boat being shipped over. I was in Washington speaking at a camp. I get a phone call. They're not going to rent to us. We end up starting church on the beach without a permit. Scary. As time goes by, we get in, you know, rented buildings and we're coming along and church is growing explosively and, and, and then suddenly uh, we, we end up with this, with this land. We, we, we find nobody's willing to sell us anything that, and there's nothing big enough and, and suddenly there's an offer laying on my desk and, and then we get caught in a little game that the, that the real estate company was playing. They didn't want us to put a bid in. And they said, wait for two weeks before you put a bid in because the person who's controlling this is on vacation, which sounds to me sort of like somebody else's, this is a good deal and somebody else is going to snake it and you're not going to get it. So we popped a, an offer that was like 25000 more than the asking price and we gave them 24 hours to act on it. And, and, and it kind of pushed them off balance and, and, and they went for it and we got the land. And, and then we went out and we... We, we hooked up with an architect and with an engineering firm, and, and we went for the best we could get. We wanted the most well-connected architects and the most well-connected uh, civil engineers in the state because we thought that's, you got to deal with government, you want good people. And we got a very, very bright civil engineer. And he comes up here and he looks the property over, they survey it, they do a whole bunch of stuff. They come back and they say there are seven fatal flaws in this property. And we go, what do you mean by that? He goes, there are seven problems, any one of which will keep you off the land. And you got seven of them. Give up. Get rid of it. Dump it. Find something else. Some of them are, 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 are actually geological. Some of them are geographical. And some of them just have to do with the bureaucracy. There's no way you're ever going to build on this property. And guess what? You're sitting here right now. See, what is it that is you need that's out there and you don't even know how to pray for it and it's infinitely more than you would ever dare to ask or hope? I've told you the story about the dumbness of us all that we got up here and we all said to build and we start digging and clearing the land. We got that point. We cleared the land. We cleared the brush off the land. And then we began to realize we got to find some place to put the dirt. We hadn't even considered it. And, it, you know, I always make jokes. You got to go buy a hole in the ground and fill it up. You can't. That would be a wetland. You have to find some land that you can dump 6,000 of those long semi-trucks loaded of dirt on to get rid of the stuff. And it just coincidentally happened that Bayview Golf Course got their building permit at the same time we did and came to us and said, if you got extra dirt, we want it and we'll pay for the shipping. $600,000 worth of shipping. 
See, we were in this spot that these guys were in. There's no way we can do any of this. Our back is against the wall. We're too stupid to even know it. <laughs> what I'm talking about here is, is this. It's not God help me do the possible. What I'm talking about is, God, I need help with the impossible. I need your kingdom to come into this world and invade what's going on here and change my life circumstances. And if it doesn't happen, I'm in deep, deep, deep kimchi. And so I am just putting it all in your hands. I'm investing my trust in you. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 